All right. Today we're going to be in Romans 1, if you've got your Bible. Uh, we are going to flip around a couple of places, so if you've got a place marker for that, uh, I encourage you to find it. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you, I encourage you to download the Bible app. Uh, use that. We've got notes in there for uh, today's sermon, uh, and so you can subscribe to those and find those. I think you go to the Events tab or the More tab in the Events tab, something like that, and uh, all the notes from today are in there, all right? Uh, today is the last sermon of a series entitled uh, Living Lies. Living Lies. And we've been talking about this idea, this concept, that the lives that we're living are really lies that we're living. Uh, that sin is so a part of who we are, oftentimes, that we've begun to live a lie. And we're talking about um, why that is, how that happened, and, and today we hope to finish up by taking a deep dive into sin and realizing this is how we can get out of that and return to our Father. So uh, we saw in week one that He sees our lies, right? The Lord sees our lies and He still chose to die for us. And we were encouraged to stop covering up our lies. We talked about last week how God's wrath reminds us of our need to be rescued. And we ended by uh, just trying to be really grateful for all the things that are undeserved, right? Nothing was deserved by us because of our sinful natures, and yet we've been given so much. Today we're going to dive deep into our sinful lives so that we can stop living in them. And that's a, that's a tough journey. <laughs> it's a tough journey that I think many of us are on. So uh, I want to pray for our time in the Word, and, uh, and then we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, we pray that today you would speak to us, uh, that we wouldn't hear from a man, but that we would hear from you about a man named Jesus. And uh, Father, we pray that you would speak to us through your word, that you would help us to find freedom from the lives that we've been living through your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Many of you know I grew up on a farm, and our farm was actually, uh, ended up being two properties that were um, next to each other. And so we had our house and a small amount of property, and then we acquired more property that had an old farmhouse on it. And this old farmhouse uh, it wasn't, wasn't fit to live in, but it was totally fit to house the papa shot that we had growing up. Uh, and so it was amazing. There were times when we were supposed to be going out to do the chores that it was much more convenient to take some time to play papa shot. So I can remember, you know, you start to, to gauge in your mind, um, how much time do I have? How many times can I try to beat my record on the papa shot and still get my chores done before dad comes home from work? And, uh, you know, the, the thing about that was I, you started to master that. And, and then the challenge was, I wonder if I can get my brothers to come in here with me. And so I would go and I would convince them to come. We'd make a competition of it. And the, the fear that all of us had, right, you, maybe you've been in this place. You're sneaking around. You're, not, you're doing something you're not supposed to do. And you're just a little bit on edge, right? And every sound that you hear might be the sound of the door opening because dad's home. I don't know, maybe there's something like that in your life. It's like I've, you, you're, you know that if this one thing happens, that you're caught, you're done, and so you're just on edge, you're really on guard, you're really alert to those things. And I, I began to think about that this week as I read this passage, and as I was looking back, I started to ask myself, how did we ever get to the point where we were convinced that that was going to end well for us? 
Like, how did we get to the point where, like, this is a good idea. We're going to play Papa Shot as long as we can and try to get all this done and convince Dad that, you know, we did it all the right way. Like, he had to know. Every time we did it, he had to know. So we're going to go on that journey today, a similar journey, because I think it's a journey that we see spelled out here in the end of Romans chapter 1. And so as we work through this, we're going to answer the question of how sin invades our lives. And, and when sin invades our lives, where is God? When we're at our lowest points in our battles with sin, where is God? And how do we get back to a right relationship with Him? All right? So, let's read the passage together. Romans chapter 1, and start reading in verse 24. Read through verse 32. It says, Therefore, God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity, so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served what has been created instead of the creator who is praised forever. Amen. For this reason, God delivered them over to disgraceful passions. Their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. The men in the same way also left natural relations with women and were inflamed in their lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with men and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind, so that they do what is not right. They are filled with all unrighteousness, evil greed, evil, greed and wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving and unmerciful. And although they know God's just sentence that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. Doesn't that just give you warm fuzzies? <clears throat> this journey into sin. We dive into sin. We dive into sin and so often we take others with us. Paul uses this strong phrase, and he says they exchange the truth of God for a lie. Verse 24, it says he delivered them over in the desires of their heart. You know, I think whenever we read this phrase or when we think about the desires of our heart, there's, a, there's another passage that more often we kind of misquote and we think of, and it comes from Psalm 37, verses 1 through 4. Because the question comes up, the desires of my heart. God wants to give me the desires of my heart. How many of you have heard that before? God wants to give me the desires of my heart. Or maybe we even use that to encourage someone else. Well, listen, God wants to give you the desires of your heart. And it's true, but we take it way out of context. Psalm 37, verses 1 through 4, read it with me. It says, Do not be agitated by evildoers. Do not envy those who do wrong. And how many times are the desires of our heart the, the wrong that has been done by other people, right? For they wither quickly like grass and wilt like tender green plants. Trust in the Lord and do what is good. Dwell in the land and live securely. Take delight in the Lord. Oh, and then he will give you your heart's desires. But so often, right, we quote Psalm 37, 4b. The Lord will give you the desires of your heart. Well, yes, he will. When we trust in him and we do what is good and we dwell in the land and we take delight in him. 
And so it's important as we, as we first start here, right, because, because that's like the first lie that we start to believe in this process, is that God gives us the desires of our hearts. And we take that way out of context. So what were these desires in the hearts of the people that Paul is speaking to? He says he delivered them over in the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. Sexual impurity. Lust. Homosexuality. We see it in these passages. Lust is an excessive driving desire for personal sexual gratification disregarding God's intended purpose for sexuality in order to fulfill our own inordinate needs. It just gives us the desires of our heart, right? <laughs> we must be careful when we get into this conversation. Like, you can just pray for me right now that, <laughs> that the Lord communicates clearly, right? We like to look at the parts of the, the, the passage that we feel like don't apply to us. But we think about sexual impurity. We talk about lust. This week as I was studying, I was confronted with an idea that challenged even me in this area. It says, do we lust after our spouse physically while not truly caring for his or her interests before our own? Right. And that little lie inside of me is like, that's, that's my wife. She's for me, right? Just trying to be a little bit honest with what's happening inside. Did the longing for physical intimacy interfere with our ability to see what would be loving for our spouse? In other words, lust may include an inappropriate pursuit of our spouse. If we're consumed with a pursuit of sexual intimacy beyond its proper role as an expression of love between husband and wife, we're struggling with lust. Oh, man. Like now we're probably like all in the conversation a little bit. And then if lust is left unaddressed, we end up acting on it outside of our marriage relationship. Be that with another person that we're not married to, a computer-generated image of another person, or, right, this is just one of the options, a person, a person who is the same gender as we are. Paul dives into that specific application, right, of how the desire for sexual gratification overflowed into these homosexual relationships. And these verses in 24 and 25, exchanging the truth of God for a lie, uh, giving, giving light to the, the, the passions, the desires of our heart, those overflowed into what we read in 26 and 27. It says, for this reason, God delivered them over to disgraceful passions, right? The things that they thought they wanted God delivered them over to those, and then they ended up moving that into action and passion. Now, what's interesting about these terms in 26 and 27, when it speaks of, of women and men, this is so interesting to me. These terms in the original language are not just a general term for, uh, for a, a guy or a girl, a husband or a wife. They are like terms that denote that this is a biological distinction. These words are only used, uh, I think, one other time, maybe two other times, in Galatians once, and then when Jesus defines marriage as being between one man and one woman, these are the terms. It gives a biological distinction to them. And so we should be quick to realize, right, that, that as we think about this idea, like it, it's, it's fairly plain to read, right, that their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. The men in the same way also left natural relations with women and were inflamed in their lust for one another. And so as we think about this, we should be quick to realize that lust is a sin for most people. 
Lust happens in heterosexual relationships too. And these feelings of same-sex attraction, they are real, just like our feelings of anger or envy or greed or pride or anything else are real. The problem happens when we exchange the lies that those true feelings tell us about what the truth, uh, for the truth of God. And that's still wrong. And some people say it doesn't seem fair or right that people would feel these feelings and not be able to act on them. Stay tuned. This is where I'm going to leave you on that, that question. There's a series in March coming up called Not Fair. But how does this happen? What does this look like? Verse 27, there's a word used, uh, inflamed. Inflamed. The idea of this word is to kindle a fire. You know, we were, we were uh, out at a farm in Shelby County last night with, with some of the basketball players, and there was a wood stove there. And, like, when the fire got low, you had to stoke the fire. Right? Like, you had to put more wood in and, and stir it up. And that's the idea here, to, to kindle a fire. There's an effort that it takes to get the fire going. In other words, this isn't something that just happens. This is something that has been kindled in their lives. It takes effort to move our feelings to our actions. There's a process. And during that process, we have to be careful which feelings we inflame. We are sinful humans. And when we are left to our own desires, we become selfish and sin-centered. We begin to believe the lies that our emotions are telling us. But we know that in Christ, we are new creations. And so while we remain in this world where sin exists and Satan is not yet destroyed, those two battle within us, waiting for the day when Satan is finally destroyed. And so the question becomes, the battle that all of us face is, which part of us are we going to inflame? Which part of us are we going to stoke? The part that God is trying to draw out of us in righteousness or the sin that is coming out of us? And it's when we inflame our sinful feelings that we no longer think that it's worthwhile to acknowledge God. And this is the next thing that, that Paul writes about being delivered over to in verse 28. Verse 28 says, And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they do not do what is right. I'm going to read through that list of sins that we read at the beginning one more time. And I just want you to, you can shoot up a little 30-second prayer right now. Lord, help me, help me see, help me see myself in these. Help me to identify as we think through these things. Verse 29 and following says, These people are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed. Do you know greed doesn't always have to be about material things? It could just be wanting more of something in an inordinate way. Wickedness. These people are full of envy. They get on social media and they always want what their friends have. Murder, the root of which is anger. Quarrels, they're always looking to pick a fight. Deceit, I can't really trust them. And malice. They're gossips, all in the name of a prayer request. Slanderers, I'd never have done it the way that they did it. God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to their parents, teens who were just trying to find their way, 
senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Here's what's scary. When we see these recurring in our lives, it's because somewhere along the line, we've decided to not acknowledge God in this area of our life. We've decided to say that I know myself better than God knows me in this area. And then we read, they not only do them, but they even applaud others who practice them. Come on, brothers, let's go play Papa Shot. Come on with me into this sin that I'm living. You know, our default reaction to our sin is to hide it. And when it begins to be found out, then we just want to get others to join us. Maybe it's not joining us in that specific sin, but in sin of some kind. Please don't expose me. Contain my lie. Can you believe what happened? Stirring up anger and dissent, maybe a gossip. You know, when we're flailing in this sin, we will do anything. We will do anything to try and keep ourselves above water. I remember when I was in seventh grade, we had to take a swim unit in PE. Couldn't swim. And the test to determine which class you went in was a jump off the diving board into the 10-foot water. And you had to swim back to one side of the, out of the pool to save yourself. PE teacher had to jump in and save me. And when she did, right, you've, you've probably heard this adage, like when you're drowning, you have no regard for that other person. You will do whatever you have to do to get your head above water and get a gasp of air, right? There, there is no saving the other person in that moment. You're saving yourself. And when we, when we take that deep dive into our sin, when we give ourselves over to the passions of our heart, and then, and then those begin to take action in our, in our disgraceful passions, and then, and then eventually we just don't even acknowledge God in that area. Ah, God has nothing to do with this. In those moments, we are flailing in our sin, and we will do absolutely anything to keep our heads above water. So the question becomes, where is God while we flail with our sin? Like, if this is the God that loves us and the God that forgives us of our sins and the God that gives us the desires of our hearts, where is He? Where is He in all this? And this passage, though it may pull out this and, and really hone in on these areas of sin, it reveals something incredibly beautiful about God. It reveals that as God delivers you over to your sin, He never stops waiting for your return. As He delivers you over to your sin, He never stops waiting for your return. I'm so excited to see this in the text, all right? So go on this journey with me. Three times, right? Three times this word delivers them over shows up. It's literally like to, to abandon, like he's abandoning us to these things. We see it first in verse 24, right? In verse 24, um, whoever, Tommy, uh, give me the little triangle thing. All right, awesome. Very good. Verse 24, right? He was delivered over. God delivered us over to our sinful hearts, right? The desires of their heart. He delivers us over to that. And then we jump down and we see in verse 26, for this reason God delivered them over 
to disgraceful passions. So first, it's like this thing, that, this sin that's birthed in our heart. And eventually, when we give life to that, because God has abandoned us to that, then when we give life to that, these disgraceful passions start to show up. We start to, to, to act on those wrong feelings. And then, in verse 28, we see this. We see it say, because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they do what is not right. Do you see the progression, right? Sin, birthed out of our sinful hearts, God abandons us, delivers us over to that, and then we begin to act on that feeling, and then when we continue to make those actions before long, we're living this lie inside of our head, like we are buying inside of our head that what we are doing is not wrong. It's a very dark place. It's a very dark place. But God... God is with us. How do I know? I know because of this incredible story that he tells in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. A story that you may have heard before, but I hope we can read with fresh eyes and fresh hearts today. In Luke chapter 15, verse 11 through 24, Jesus tells a parable of the lost son. It says this, he also said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me. Right? He wants something. He has a feeling. The share of the estate that I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. His emotions put into action. And after he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he had nothing. But wouldn't you think at that moment he would be like, this was a bad idea? No. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of the country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. You see, God had delivered him over even in his mind to a corrupt mind as he had followed this journey. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. Then look at this, verse 17. When he came to his senses, isn't that a great phrase? When he came to his senses, some of the transcripts say when he came to himself. Isn't that interesting that sometimes in the dark, in the middle of the lies that we're living, that's when we really find out who we truly are. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. You see, something changed right there. The Lord met him in the middle of that lie and reminded him of the truth. He changed his mind. He changed his mind. Verse 18, I'll get up and go to my father. Well, now that his mind has changed, I've got to do something about this. I'll get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and went to his father, but while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Isn't this so true? Right? Like we realize in our mind that we, 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 this is sin. This is sin. I've got to do something about that. And we begin to work like, this is the plan. I'm going back to my father. But as he stood in front of the father, he still found himself condemned. Right? Like, God, I'm trying really hard to stop living this life of sin. 
But I know, I, like, like my heart still says I'm a bad person. And I don't know what to do about that. But the father told his servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. And let's celebrate with a feast. Now, if there's not something that changes your heart, but a celebration thrown by your heavenly father. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again, he's replacing the lie with the truth. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. This is incredible, right? Because it teaches us, as we see these two passages working together, right? when, when we buy into this idea of sin, it's birthed in our heart, it, begins in our, it takes form in our actions, and then we start buying the lies. But we can follow that right back up as we return to the Father. You, you today, wherever you are, leave your sin and come back to the Father because God delivered you over to your sin, but He never stopped waiting for your return. He never stopped. No matter how far down, no matter how deep, no matter how dark, He has not stopped waiting for your return. And he's even given us a roadmap for how to get there. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful? So how do we do it? How do you and I leave our sin and come back to the Father? Go back to my triangle. The first thing we have to do is we have to, to change our minds, right? These corrupt minds, they have to instead identify the sin. They have to identify the sin. We have to come face to face with our sin and call sin, sin. And that's not fun. In case you've ever done that, you know it's not fun. If you haven't, it's not fun. Right? I'll read through that list and you start putting little check marks beside your head and like automatically your body convulses a little bit and you don't want to tell anybody next to you. Right? It's not fun to identify sin. But to be a quick learner, you have to fail fast. To be a quick learner, you have to fail fast. And what I mean by that is you have to be willing to say, this is sin in my life. It's taken hold, it's got root, and I don't want it there anymore. So, a couple of ways to do that that I want to give you really super tangible and practical. Uh, there's something called the seven deadly sins. Um, it's an idea that it has really kind of grown uh, out of church history, but that they've taken all the sins and they've boiled them down to these seven root cause sins. And there's an exercise. It'll go out in our email tomorrow. If you're not signed up for that, you can be. It's, a, it's in the YouVersion app. Okay, there's a link to, to that file. And it's, uh, it's this probably 10 pages that really just detail what each of these seven sins are. And the idea is that you go through and you just underline the things that you identify with. And you begin to, to prayerfully and reflectively ask the Lord to help you identify sin in your life. Only for the brave of heart. Just telling you. But you should do it. Because the only way to start going back to the Father is to identify the sin in your life. That's one. Another one might be this. Matthew chapter 5 verses, uh, through chapter 7. Something called the Sermon on the Mount. It's like a summary of, of Jesus' best teaching on earth. And so I would encourage you to do the same thing with those chapters. That's actually our Bible reading plan in the app. But you could do the same thing. Go through those three chapters and just line by line, Father, show me where I'm not living the life that, that you want me to live. Identify sin, right? Go from having a corrupt mind 
where you don't believe that what you're doing is wrong to a mind that is aligned with what Christ has for you. And when that begins to change, it's amazing the actions in your life begin to change. The action that often comes with this idea of, of returning to the Father is, is to bring our sin into the light. To bring our sin into the light. Newsflash, he's going to do it somehow, some way. Even if it's at the end of times. Your sin is going to come into light. My dad was always going to come to the door, no matter how long I stayed and played Papa Shot. The journey is hard in confessing our sins and bringing it to light. But his word gives us hope. So I want to point you back to his word, even in this. There's a section of the Psalms, Psalms 120 through Psalm 134. Note that down somewhere. I think it's in the notes in the app. These Psalms are called the Psalms of Ascent. The Psalms of Ascent. And what these were for, they were, they were very specific. There were times of the year where the Jewish people would ascend back to Jerusalem. That they would go back to Jerusalem and worship the Lord there. And that journey was always very difficult, right? Imagine Dave trying to get your kids to church on a Sunday morning, and you've got a minivan and all the luxury. You know, it probably plays DVDs or something. I don't know. In that day, you're trying to get your family back to Jerusalem. You've got to go through a desert on a donkey. Sorry, Dave. Suck it up. <laughs> right? So this is a hard journey. In the same way, our journey out of the sin in our lives, out of the lies that we've been living, it's very difficult, right? You're excited at the beginning when you find out what that sin is. You can look forward to the end, but in the middle, it's really tough. You feel alone. You're not sure what to do. So may I point you to these verses, these chapters in the Psalms. And what these do is as you make that journey back to the Father, they encourage you. They give you hope. They remind you of what you're going to do, to be reunited with the God you love and serve. Another question, a very practical question that comes up with bringing our sin to light is, who should I do that with? Like when I figure out my sin, should I post my Facebook status? Guys, I figured it out. Here are my top three sins. Doesn't sound very healthy, right? Hopefully. If it does... Go back down to the head level. <laughs> Just kidding, kidding. First and foremost, right? We've got to bring these sins before the Lord. Like in a, in a personal conversation with the Lord, like, Lord, thank you for showing me that I am struggling with filling in the blank. I also think it's healthy and good to bring those to light with those you are spiritually responsible to. And by that, I don't mean Blake up on the stage, okay? Maybe it's your community group leader. Maybe it's a mentor. Maybe it is the pastor elders of our church. It doesn't have to be me. But those you are spiritually responsible to. And third, and this one has a little more flexibility. I think it, it, it's more one person at a time. But, but I do think it's important to consider those that you have drugged down in sin with you. Acknowledging to them that the Lord has exposed this sin in your life and you don't want to walk in it anymore. Identify sin, bring it into the light. And maybe just like the sun, as you're doing all those things, that all sounds great, but you're still living a life feeling condemned, feeling like that lie still has a hold of you. And so how does the Lord make our heart new? Well, just like we exchange the truth of God for a lie, 
He loves to exchange our sin with a solution. He loves to. Romans 8, 6. Obviously, we'll get to it a little bit later in our teaching in Romans. Simply says this, Now the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. So he begins to give us that life. He begins to give us that peace. And one of the practical ways to do this is, man, first prayer that I pray in the morning, right? Just beat Satan to the punch by inviting the spirit to have control of your life and of your mind as opposed to your flesh. Second thing that I would encourage you to do is whenever you identify that sin, find scripture, ask for help finding a scripture that replaces the lie of that sin with the truth of God's word and memorize it. Memorize it. Hide it in your heart. One more aside, and then I'll finish up. Thinking from a perspective of parents, the question that I have is, when should we emulate God in our parenting and deliver our kids over, quote-unquote, to their sin and wait expectantly, with intense prayer, of course, for their return. How can we do that? Is it, is it right to do that? James Dobson, I'm no expert in parenting. I'm learning every day. But James Dobson says this, your children need help in developing self-discipline and self-control. Allow them within reason to suffer the unpleasant consequences of their mistakes, such as walking to school when they miss the bus. Man. Then then I'm about to buy my my kids new shoes. (laughs) Paying for the repairs when they put a dent in the family car. Most importantly, encourage them. This is where it's at. Encourage them to spend time in the Word of God and to invite Jesus into their life. We must be careful not to parent by the law, but by the love of Christ. You have to leave your sin. Come back to the Father. He's waiting on your return. Because when we all come back together, church, like when we all give ourselves to this process, He's celebrating with all of us. Do you see the beauty in that? I'm just going to be real with you for a minute. As we've gone through this series, man, the Lord's word, like, it doesn't return void, right? So I'm just going to be really honest. Like, there's a lot of sin coming out in, in people's lives, my own included. It's terrible. And yet I'm really grateful. Because when we all choose to start coming out of our sin as the Lord walks us through that process, man, we are walking towards this incredible celebration. And so the question is, as this sin is being revealed, what are we going to do with it? What will we do with it? How will we handle that? How will we handle that in our own life, knowing that how we handle it affects the life and family of this church that we're a part of? It's a big deal. Together as a church, will we celebrate our coming back to Jesus, or will we drag one another down in our sin? See, those are like the options. We either deal with our sin or we drag other people down into it. And so it's vital to the life of this church. It's vital to the life of of this gathering of people that we deal with our sin.
Let's not drag one another into our sin. Let's celebrate the return to our Father. We started this series, Romans chapter 1, verses 16. In that verse, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And we ask the question, how could Paul say that? Knowing everything that was wrong in Paul's life, all the things that he had done, how could Paul say that? And we now know that Paul can say that because when he returned to the Father, there was a celebration. And he no longer was ashamed because the power of God in salvation was his. That power, as the band comes back up to lead us, that power is found in the person of Jesus Christ and his death and burial and resurrection. Jesus paid it all. And so today, as we respond to the gospel, I hope you've already identified and that the Spirit is helping you to identify what you need to do. To identify sin. To bring it into the light. And to celebrate, man. To replace that sin with a solution. The solution of Jesus Christ because he paid it all. As we do that this morning, if you're a baptized believer in Christ, we want to invite you to come up and and celebrate that with Christ, right? When he rose from the dead, like his death was like, it was hanging in the shadows. It was important, but it wasn't as important as the fact that he was alive in that moment because he had paid for our sins. So we come up and we take a piece of the bread and we dip it in the juice to celebrate with Christ, to celebrate Christ. Maybe today you are burdened by your sin. Maybe today you realize that you've been stuck in your sin forever. Life has always been a lie. And the truth of God has not been in you. If that's true, you can come meet me in the starting point room. I'm going to be there. Others will be there. We'd love to learn your story, pray. Maybe some of these jumping off points that you've heard throughout the day are, are connecting with you. They're resonating. Come meet, come meet us there. That's your starting point. And maybe today, your response is to simply celebrate that your heart is made new. We're going to do that today by singing a song that many of you probably know. Words simply say this, I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Right? Left to our own devices, left to our own devices, He delivers us over to the sin that is within us. Child of weakness, watch and pray and find in me thine all in all. Lord, now indeed I find thy power and thine alone. Right. At the bottom of that triangle, in the middle of the darkness, in the middle of the lie, it's your power that gives me the strength to walk away from my sin. It can change the leper's spots and melt the heart of stone. Right. The heart has changed. And we look forward when before the throne we stand in him complete. Jesus died my soul to save. My lips shall still repeat. And that is a celebration of the Savior that serves and saves us. God has delivered us over to our sin, but he is there waiting for our return. Let's celebrate that truth together this morning. Would you pray with me?
Father, sin is uh, so sneaky, so prevalent. May we not believe the lies it's telling us today. I pray that, pray that over the next few minutes, this place would be a place of truth. That those truths that you are speaking through your spirit to our hearts and to our minds, I pray, Father, that they would break chains of bondage, that they would, man, just evacuate the lies that are in us. I pray that your Savior, I pray that our Savior would reign in this place today. Spirit, lead us now, we pray. Amen.